And hello, everybody. Welcome back to Phil at the Movies. I'm your host, Phil Walsh, and you're listening to episode number 71 of this ongoing podcast series that is for the love of movies. I want to thank you, as always, for tuning in each week and hearing what I have to say on all things cinema. Today, going to do another commentary at the movies, talking about one of my favorite films of all time. I know that I tend to say that uh, that phrase a lot on this show, but uh, again, enjoy talking about movies that uh, mean a great deal to me, and that is certainly true about today's pick. But uh, I'm also excited because this was this was selected by by you, the the listeners. This was a Twitter or X, whatever. Whatever the hell they're calling it now, uh, this was a, a we'll call it, this was a social media question, and uh, I put it to you. I listed a number of third parts in in a trilogy, and by an overwhelming margin, Return of the Jedi was selected. So here you go. the uh, The Force is with you. Your destiny will be fulfilled today. We'll I'll be giving my commentary on the third installment of the original Star Wars trilogy, episode number six, if we're going to be speaking chronologically. And as I said, I'm very excited about this film. It means a great deal to me. I love all of the Star Wars films, particularly the original six, but Return of the Jedi has a special place in my heart. I grew up watching this movie countless times as a kid. I had the toy lightsaber. I, I thought I was Luke Skywalker for a period of time. I mean, it was... It was uh, it was Nirvana, uh, to to say the least. And this movie, uh, you know, it, it, it's it has its fair share of detractors, um, and, and I'm not really sure that's even uh, that's even fair. I mean, you know, is there an argument to be made that uh, this is the the weakest of the original trilogy? Sure, but to me, uh, any blemishes on this film, I think, are far outweighed by the real emotional story of of the film, and, and which is the battle between Luke and, and Darth Vader. And I'm not just talking about the, the confrontation uh, aboard the Death Star with the Emperor, but really the whole soul of the, of the movie, the soul of the entire saga, is this attempt by Luke to, to find the good in his father, to redeem his father from the dark side and, and bring him back to the light. And... Uh, it's a powerful, powerful story, powerful themes. But uh, to me, this was always my favorite growing up, and, and it still is to this day. I, I love this film. I never get tired of watching it. Whenever there's a marathon of Star Wars on TV and I happen to stumble into Return of the Jedi, I have to sit through and finish because it, it is one of those films where it, it takes me back to to my childhood in a way. But it, it's just such a fun, rousing emotional movie that for all intents and purposes ended the Star Wars saga on a high note uh, for a period of time and uh, you know certainly don't want to go down the uh, r- road of discussing the later films in the series but uh, if if you look at this one in in particular it it really packs uh, a punch and it's it, you couldn't go wrong with how this film Ended and and I would hold it up there as one of the one of the few great third parts in, in a trilogy. I mean, it, it, it's up there with The Dark Knight Rises, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, just 
a film that manages to to stick the landing and and, and still deliver something that is emotional and satisfying and, and exciting all at once. So that is the commentary that'll be coming for today's show, and I'll give you the uh, the heads up uh, for uh, for what to for when to start it. But a uh, little bit of housekeeping as always uh, before uh, I begin today's show. All of these uh, social media handles uh, you can find in the show notes, um, email for this show, Instagram, threads, etc. Uh, but I did want to give a, a personal shout out at this moment. Uh, if you have not done so already and, and you are interested in all things DC from Batman to Superman to the forthcoming Blue Beetle film, I, I would I would encourage you to... Give a follow and give a listen to the podcast that I co-host with my two friends, uh, Chris Evans and Anthony Caruso. Uh, the show is DC Unlimited Pod. I'll leave all the information in the show notes. But we're having an absolute blast doing this show. We drop a new episode about every two weeks, give or so. Uh, it's, you know, sometimes I have to coordinate uh, with everybody's schedules. And, and life, uh, as, as you well know, can get kind of busy. But uh, we're having a great time with it. And and certainly, this has been an ex, an, uh, an interesting time, shall we say, for for DC fans and uh, uh, for us uh, being being fans of, of of the comics of the movies. Uh, it's just been a it's just been a blast to to just sort of you know have a passionate dialogue, and we've had some great guests on the show as well. So again, if you if you haven't had your fill of me with this show or the midweek show uh I, I would encourage you to uh to to give this a show uh, give this a follow uh i promise i don't talk uh as much uh, on the show we kind of keep it everything is uh even keeled but uh in all seriousness it, it's it's a blast and and uh you know not just for me but but uh to, you know to support my two friends uh you know goes a long way and, and is greatly appreciated so there we have that little bit of housekeeping, and of course, as always, just thank you from the bottom of my heart for your continued support and your friendship uh, for for this show. I I, I I love and admire and respect each and every one of you, even though some of some of you we, we may never actually have met. But uh, you know, the fact that you're on this cinematic journey and and you clearly have a, have a passion for for cinema, uh, you know, I say you know, w- welcome aboard. Uh, but 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 in all seriousness, thank you for for your friendship, your connection, and, and just your enthusiastic embrace of this show that has been ongoing since January of 2022 and shows no sign of stopping. Uh, as long as my voice will let me, and as long as there are movies to discuss, Phil at the movies is going to be right here reviewing and discussing along the way. All right, everybody, without any further ado, let's get aboard the Millennium Falcon and head to that galaxy far, far away and watch Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi. Now, a quick programming note, there are various versions of this particular film, whether you have it on VHS or DVD or the subsequent Blu-ray and 4K versions of the film. The one that I am going to be watching is from the 2004 uh, first DVD release of this film. Uh, this uh, this is the one that I go back to time and again. But uh, whatever, uh, whichever version you have, uh, you know, there's some slight 
differences, uh, but but not enough to uh, affect the overall uh, story or, or, of course, the overall viewing pleasure. But whatever whatever version of the film you have, uh, feel free to to uh, pl- plug it in, set it up, and uh, you know, in the meantime, get a beverage, get uh, get something to eat. And uh, on the uh, on the uh, on the on the countdown, we'll use a uh, we'll use Han Solo's uh, one of Han Solo's lines before we uh, before we start. But uh, again, thank you as always for tuning in. Hope you enjoy today's episode. I'll try to be uh, as lively as possible and, and offer any factoids or uh, uh, interesting points along the way. But uh, all right, let's uh, let's head off and and watch my favorite. Star Wars film. Okay, everybody, let's punch it. All right, now. 20th Century Fox logo. Cue the music. That's famous. Lucasfilm Limited intro. It's always a big deal whether watching this on TV or in the movies to see that that logo long time ago in a galaxy far far away still get chills still get chills to this very day when that music starts and that crawl starts episode six interestingly enough return of the jedi was the first title proposed for the film and then it was changed to Revenge of the Jedi, because the thought among some of the co-producers was that Return of the Jedi was a weak title, and so George Lucas changed it to Revenge of the Jedi, and that remained on the posters, in the marketing, I even have a print of it, I'm actually looking at it right now, uh, for uh, Revenge of the Jedi, and right up until the release of the film, like just weeks before the film premiered, the title was changed back to Return of the Jedi, and the rationale behind that decision was a Jedi does not take revenge, and certainly given the story and the scope, I think Returns, uh, Return of the Jedi is a much stronger title, and, and, it, and it suggests not only are, you know, is Luke uh, you know, a Jedi, but, but also the Jedi are plural in this case, as we will see later on, but uh, George Lucas would get eventually get revenge uh, in in Revenge of the Sith uh, later on, but that that's more fitting, especially given the tone of of that film. Love these opening shots of just Death Star in the background, planet, major ship. I remember watching this at home as a kid and just being stoked out of my mind, like oh. Shit's going down. Vader's Vader's pulling up. I mean, again, you don't even have to even establish like Vader getting aboard the ship. You you just know. You just know with the music cues and and the and the and the Imperial fleet at this point that uh, things are going down. Now the actor coming up, uh, I believe his name was Michael Pennington. Um, he plays uh, the the commander. I think his name is Moth Jared Gerard, and he actually had a much larger subplot in in the film. And there's some deleted scenes that you can find online. He was sort of 
angling this Vader's chief rival to the Emperor, and they had some interesting exchanges and dialogue. But uh, like I said, there was a whole subplot with this character that was later uh, removed. But uh, interestingly enough, uh, the late, great Alan Rickman auditioned for this role. Uh, so it's sort of funny to think that Alan Alan Rickman could have been in a Star Wars movie, uh, but uh, alas, it was not to be the case uh, going to, to, to this gentleman here. Love how everybody is on edge. I mean, a great way to establish that you've got a frightening villain and a powerful character with just no dialogue, but just showing someone at ease like they're doing right here. This is is my favorite Darth Vader entrance. I like this even better than than A New Hope. Uh, there's just something about the way the music cues up and just Vader walking alone down the the the, the platform into the the Death Star. Just reeks evil. <laughs> and James Earl Jones, my God, what a voice! What a voice! And he's able to bring such nuances to the film. And I, and I was, I read somewhere that when they got to the sequels, um, he really wanted to do different inflections and tones uh, to show kind of a range of Vader's personality and character. And I think that's really on display in this film. The Emperor's coming here. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about the Emperor. So many, so many good things to share about Ian McDermott. Fantastic actor, too. Now, there was a, another scene that was in the script and, and actually shot. You can find it in the deleted scenes. It was complete, everything. After this scene uh, ends, a, it was going to be another sequence with Vader where he goes into his chambers and he tries to communicate with Luke through the Force. And it was going to show Luke on Tatooine building his lightsaber for the film uh, and, and sort of blocking out Vader's calls and, and, and requests for him to join the Force. Um, they took it out. I, part of me wishes they would have kept it in because it was another cool scene that could have showed Vader's desperation to try to get his son to join him on the dark side uh, of, of the Force. Uh, but I understand why they did it because later on when the lightsaber is revealed on, during the battle uh, aboard the sail barge, it, it makes sense and it actually fits. But it, it's just one of those little... Little interesting scenes that that kind of just show more of, of Vader's attempts to try and convert his son to the dark side. I love how in all of these films, particularly with these the, these bookends, Return of the Jedi and then A New Hope, we're with the point of view. The point of view is with the robots, with C three PO and R two D two, and again, you kind of think back to the first Star Wars. That was a a bold decision to essentially say we're going to spend the first 20 odd minutes or so just following these two characters and and going on on their adventure it was a bold decision and and you could see how that would have scared a lot of studios and and create uh you know uh suits if you will because one i mean now star wars is part of the concept you know pop culture and, and everybody knows it but at the time, Star Wars was just this idea, and it was a very bold and outlandish idea. And 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 again, to someone who never knew this stuff, it's, it would be it would be weird and strange. But uh, again, you had to give that testament to George Lucas for sticking to his guns and and following through on his vision. 
this whole sequence at, at Jabba's palace, really the rescue of Han Solo, I mean, it could it could be a movie, you know, in and of itself. It's it's a self-contained story. It runs about thirty minutes, and it's it's perfect just with the way the action, the drama, the intensity, and then you get to see these these characters. I mean, whenever I think of Star Wars, I mean, I know a lot of people say, well, think of the cantina sequence in, in the first film, but to me it's always been Jabba's Palace because it's such a collection of aliens and creatures that it's unlike anything uh, in really any other movie as far as I'm concerned. Uh, just the visuals of, of Jabba's Palace and, again, putting aside the, the re-releases of, of A New Hope and the special editions which have incorporated the character. I mean, the fact that this was the big movie, this was the one that revealed and showed Jabba the Hutt for the first time. And I can't imagine how audiences reacted that first that first showing is to see this this gangster that's been whispered about and talked about over two films to finally show himself as this giant slug like creature it's 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 absolutely fascinating and all practical effects all practical effects it's it's a giant puppet and not an easy puppet to to run uh from what I have read there were six people. You know, they had people inside controlling the tail, controlling the controlling the arms and the head, and then you had um, you know, someone off the side controlling the uh, the eyes. Practical and, and real sets as much as possible, but I mean, you you see it all in, in these first three films, and there's such a, an originality and, and a and a and a realness to to these worlds because it's not done up in done up in a computer; it's right there. In, in 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 3D and God, I mean, yeah. Today, of course, you could do so much more, but th- there's something that's that that works. There's that special uh, X factor, if you will, when you watch the the original films, and, and Jabba is a perfect example of that. And you know, again, even though he's on a slab most of the time, and you really don't see much in the way of of movement, you, you believe in the character. You believe in the character because you believe in the world. And it was all, again, just just a giant puppet. Just a giant puppet. I like the way Luke just got out. Greetings, exalted one. It's funny, the original title, or excuse me, not title, but the original contracts for these, these films, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, both signed on to do two more films after A New Hope. Harrison Ford was the only person who didn't sign on to do, um, who didn't sign on to do with a th- uh, the sequels. Uh, and his philosophy was, oh, just kill him off, kill him off, kill off, kill off Han Solo. Uh, and that was part of the reason his character ends up in limbo at the end of The Empire Strikes Back. Uh, so when it came time to do this, this third film, it was unclear if Harrison Ford would in fact return because by this point he had decided, or he had not decided, but he had become and gone into play uh, uh, Indiana Jones and was equally as famous for playing that role. And so there was a big debate of whether or not Han would be brought back in this film if they could get Harrison to return. Uh, but even after he returned, he was of the of the mind that. Han should die, and even the co-writer uh, Lawrence Kasdan 
in the film thought that one of the the characters should die in order to raise the stakes, but George Lucas was was flat against that idea, and that's one of those situations. I I totally agree. I I am not a fan of just killing off characters for characters' sake, and I, I think if we have seen anything, I mean, I just sort of cite as examples the Star Wars sequel trilogy and the new Scream movies, killing off fan favorite characters like. Han in Star Wars or Dewey from Scream, to me, it's more just shock value. I don't think there's anything necessarily conducive to the story elements. Uh, To me, just killing off a character to shock the audience, like, oh, wow, our our stakes are are high in this film, I I think it's kind of a cheap trick. And I'm glad that in this, uh, in this, at least in this trilogy, all the, all three characters survive and, and you kind of get that that happy ending though it was not always a um a clear-cut uh plan there was some uh some internal uh debates and discussions but uh nevertheless uh, uh george lucas uh, got what he wanted by the end of the uh by the end of the day this whole dance sequence has been revised and and changed through various uh re-releases uh I, this is one instance where i think i pref- i do prefer the original uh cut of this uh, of this scene it was again all practical facts all puppets and i understand the logic of trying to you know show more movement with the characters you can do that with the digital creation but there's something organic and and fresh about the puppets and, and and the 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 kind of quote unquote movie magic in the in in the original version of the film, but again, I I don't find it you know it's not distracting enough to take me out of the movie, but uh, you know that's one of those situations where I think you know the original was 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 certainly better. Uh, here comes the the rancor. Again, I love the dramatic reveal, kind of very much like Jaws in a way savoring the moment just hinting at the monster and then uh, hearing from it but not actually seeing it till the till moments later that uh, creature actually started out as somebody in a costume that was the original thought was to do someone in a costume and then do some work with with puppets and miniatures but apparently the costume looked too too phony too too uh, too shoddy so they they went back and just did uh, a model set and then had a um you know the rest of it superimposed uh images with a you know giant prop arm and the like now, this scene right here with the with the, with the bounty hunter bringing chewy i remember as a kid i was like okay who the hell had you know how did chewy get caught like what, what's, what's going on here of course this character is later revealed to be a to be Leia in disguise, uh, part of the uh, part of the elaborate plan to uh, to get Han out of Jabba's palace. Very very intricate. You know, Luke was a, Luke was a master strategist with this one. Jabba is so grotesque, but yet it's such a fascinating character to watch at the same time. Princess Leia, she is one of 
the great characters in, in movie history, uh, played to a T by 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 the late great Carrie Fisher. Uh, it, truly, I mean, talk about a character that was breaking down barriers uh, way back when. I mean, Leia was never the damsel in distress. She was always a, a character with agency and, and authority, and she was the one telling the guys what to do and and. Again, I think a lot of it goes just the way the character was written, but 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 also Fisher's performance. She brings a, a spontaneity and, and a feistiness to the character that that makes her memorable. I mean, she truly uh, created a character that that will stand the test of time. I mean, Princess Leia, Han. I mean, all these characters, Luke. They, they're they're synonymous. I mean, people know. Who they are in any in any in any culture, any country, everybody can recognize Star Wars, even if they've never seen the the, the films in their entirety. People know uh, these uh, these movies. I mean, that's 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 damn powerful, and not always uh, not always achievable, especially in the uh, in the uh, you know, the way movies are today, with you know, sort of coming out every single week. There's something new. Just a, just an incredible, incredible film. Again, I, I, I've, I've mentioned, I'm sure, in, in passing, but just the, the, the sets, the designs of, of, of all three of the original films, but, but even this film. I mean, this was made 40 years ago, and it still holds up. It still looks, it still looks good. It doesn't appear dated, and that's. That's incredible because you look at a lot of films that you know came out, even a film that you know could have come out ten years ago, and it doesn't hold up. And I think that's something to be said about the practical effects and uh, uh, you know sort of that on location uh, uh, shooting, if you will. I think Tatooine is the one planet that gets the most traction on. On uh, any of the Star Wars films, that seems to be always, always end up there some way, some way, somehow. I remember as a kid the first time watching this, I, I didn't know it was Princess Leia. It's like, yeah, you know, who the, who the hell is this trying to, trying to rescue Han? <laughs> there he is, frozen in, frozen in carbonite. Interestingly, uh, Steven Spielberg was George Lucas's first choice to direct this film, but because George Lucas was no longer involved with the Directors Guild, uh, he couldn't hire him. Uh, but other other names were considered, including David Lynch, which uh, apparently they did meet, but it never went beyond uh, a lunch a lunch meeting. Uh, the other name that was uh, was mentioned and, and and seriously considered was David Cronenberg and. I mean, you could just imagine uh, a David Cronenberg Star Wars film, especially a, a creature feature. If you think of a film like The Fly, uh, I, I can only imagine the horror for you know what what, what would have happened in Jabba's uh, palace. But uh, you know, nevertheless, he uh, he did not um, 
did not uh, did not get the job or take the job, but uh, Richard Marquand was chosen because he had done a lot of small character pictures and and, and quiet, uh, you know, kind of your more drama films, and and that was kind of what George thought would be a more uh, in keeping with this with this final film. Maybe free of the carbonite. <laughs> Leia, Leia rescuing Han. I couldn't imagine Han not being in this film. Uh, just would have been a, a missed, a missed, a missed presence. And he, like all these, all the, all the actors, they just embody these roles will be forever known as far as I'm concerned free of the carbonite <laughs> and he just you know that was its layer <laughs> Leia and Han reunited again. <laughs> the big, uh, the big reveal. Java is there. I love how Han is just looking off in the other direction, and his eyesight hasn't returned yet. <laughs> Later on, of course, you see uh, Lando uh, is already in the palace in disguise, kind of working from within. As a kid, I was sort of like, okay, this is really an elaborate <laughs> plan just to try to, to rescue Han. But uh, when it all comes together, and, and certainly you watch it time and again, it, it, does, uh, it, it does all fit together in, in a nice symmetry. Everybody had to get captured for, for Luke to, to come in and save the day. I love the reunion with Han and, and, and Chewie. That is, that, that, that's a special moment. Uh, just again, two, uh, two, two best friends, you know, man, uh, man and his Wookiee. Uh, and again, Harrison's acting here is is great he just always knows he always knows how just to to play the the absurd moments and and, and do it and do it so well he can't even take care of anybody and this scene that, that that's coming up luke's reveal his entrance as much as I mentioned earlier, how much I, I love the deleted scene that shows him at the beginning with Vader trying to communicate to him through the Force, uh, th this is really the perfect 
introduction for Luke in this movie because it shows his growth uh, as a character. He just you know, he comes and walks in and you know, raises the the gate with with the force, and then you know doesn't take any shit from anybody. He just walks right in there, and you know, he's no longer this little uh, you know whiny farm boy. He's he's truly become uh, the Jedi Knight. And again, there's, there's sort of interesting hints uh, just in, in terms of wardrobe. Luke is dressed all in black to kind of suggest that, that he might be teetering on that edge about becoming or, or going over to the dark side and, and just sort of adds, adds to the stakes of the film. Of course, Leia and her, Leia and her infamous or famous uh, slave girl dress. Uh, just leave that there. Stuff of legends. Stuff of legends. <laughs> That's for another show. <laughs> Luke just walking in like a boss. <laughs> just walking in like a boss. Luke has truly become the Jedi Knight. Almost a Jedi Knight, I should say. <laughs> I love this part where he grabs the Grabs the gun. Again, Mark Hamill, I don't think it's enough praise. Great again. <laughs> soon, soon the revelation of the Rancor. Probably the most terrifying Star Wars monster. I, I think this this one is this one takes the cake. I mean, this is the stuff of nightmares. It's like King Kong and and Godzilla in in one. <laughs> Now, this was also going to be a, a bit of a puppet, and I think they had apparently had started to do it with a with an actor in a suit, but it, it did not look realistic. And I've seen some of the, the behind-the-scenes footage, and it, it would have looked tacky. It would have looked like an old B-movie monster, and this this was the wise call to keep it with the with with the model and and. You know, doing superimposed images uh, behind it because uh, you, you don't want to, you don't want to cheapen your movie. You don't want to make it 
silly. Stuff of nightmare fuel, though, the Rancor. Just, just, just frightening. Absolutely frightening. And I love how in this it's it's Luke relying on his wits and his and his surrounding. It's not like he's gonna use the force or you know have some uh ex machia uh situation. Like it's it's all it's all kind of built in that plausibility. Uh whereas I feel like today it would have been it would be like some elaborate force trick or uh some intervening event. Like this the suspense is there and Obviously, you know, Luke might have a little bit of plot armor. Uh, again, it, it, it's it's heightened, so you kind of feel like, yeah, there's there's some real stakes here. But but he gets out of it with his own with his own know-how. He's not, uh, you know, just sort of waiting for someone to come rescue him. And then uh, the creature will uh, inevitably meet meet its end and. In a grisly, uh, a grisly Star Wars fashion. Now Jabba's angry. <laughs> All hell is about to break loose. Again, practical effects, real sets. Now the the Scarlack monster has been revised and and uh, edited, if you will, uh, in in various versions of the film. I, I actually prefer the how it looked in the original eighty uh, three. Version. I I thought it looked scarier and and more like a monster. Now it's kind of got like this weird little like slug face and tentacles everywhere. But uh, you know, small small gripe. Now another fun fact: Luke uh, was supposed to have a blue lightsaber in uh, in this film, and in even I think one of the first few teasers they showed the blue lightsaber and. Uh, on the uh, the movie poster, Luke does have a blue lightsaber, and that was again that was a decision that was ch made a change right up until uh, almost right before the film was released. Um, they thought the blue didn't work quite as well against the uh, against the blue sky, so they changed it to to green. But uh, no, originally it was supposed to be blue a blue lightsaber because that's what there was what there were red lightsaber, blue lightsaber. And actually, the lightsabers that both Vader and Luke use in the film are repurposed Obi-Wan Kenobi lightsabers from uh, from the first movie, uh, which is uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, apparently, the the lightsaber models uh, disappeared, or, or somebody uh, somebody took them uh, after the fact, and so there was uh, no uh, no props left. Uh, so they had to sort of improvise and. And retooled the original uh, uh, Kenobi lightsabers for for uh, for Vader and and Luke in this film. 
this whole ex- this whole sequence, uh, the 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 escape, the the battle, it's probably it's one of my favorite Star Wars action pieces. Uh, it, it's just again the right amount of of stakes and tension, and the action is cool. I like the outdoor setting, and it, and it's you know it's it's a it's an old fashioned fight. You know, it's a fight that just happens to have you know, blaster guns and and lightsabers and and, and the like. This was all shot uh, on location in in Arizona, uh, so you know they didn't go back to Tunisia for for this film, but uh, this was all in Arizona. <laughs> I just love how Han is mouthing off R two D two to the rescue again. Just such a cool sequence. I had this whole setup as a as a kid, the uh, the, the Java sail barge and all the cool uh, figurines that went with it. Wish I still had it now. <laughs> Luke making his uh his proclamation free us or die. <laughs> yeah, I, I love how Mark Hamill's character grew through all three films. I mean this this is my favorite uh, my favorite portrayal of Luke. This is this is how I re- remember Luke. John Williams score. Oh, it is chills. Always chills with his music. Just knows how to hit the right. Oh, there we go. See, th- this was a perfect reveal for the lightsaber. I remember doing again with my lightsaber. You know, when I was <laughs> trying to be Luke Skywalker, you know, running around the the deck at my house, you know, swinging the swinging the lightsaber blade. This is such a cool action sequence. As of course the final, uh, or what was supposed to be the final stand of Boba Fett. Of course he's been brought back time and again. And George Lucas said after the fact, because he had no idea that Boba Fett was going to become this popular character, uh, brief appearance in the last film. And looking back at sort of behind the scenes articles that were written in that time, a lot of people were speculating that Boba Fett was like Luke's mother in disguise. <laughs> I mean, it was all these crazy fan theories, but you know, he just turned out just to be a bounty hunter. Uh, you know, really a throwaway character, but people people liked him and. Uh, you know, George Lucas said, "You know, if he had known the popularity of the character, he would have given him more grandeur death in the in the film." But 
uh, yeah, he gets his return in the the Disney Plus shows. Of course, it's uh, fitting that 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 Princess Leia is the one to defeat Jabba. I remember Carrie seeing an interview with Carrie Fisher where she said she she relished that day. You know, again, even though it was a puppet, she said it was it was fitting for her to take out the uh, the giant slug. There goes Jabba. <laughs> Payback for putting her in the slave girl outfit. <laughs> oh, what a violent death. <laughs> But I suppose fitting for a character like that. <laughs> Luke. Again, it's just it's just such a great action sequence with just kind of building towards the uh the inevitable climax of the scene. Like I said, it, it really feels like a movie within the movie. Big plot moment coming up here with uh Luke gonna have his uh gonna gonna he's gonna get his hand uh his mechanical hand damaged. Play a play a role later on. <laughs> I love this scene with Han. Wait, I thought you were blind. <laughs> The villainous, salacious crumb. <laughs> Again, another puppet. Now Luke uh, gets his hand hurt. Now this originally had uh, a much, not, not, not necessarily a longer end sequence. But after they escaped the, the sail barge, uh, they get caught in a sandstorm. And again, nothing was added, nothing added to it, just more to kind of show the harsh environment of Tatooine. But uh, everything that's that was said in that scene is all done in a voiceover right here. Now, coming up, we're going to see the reveal, finally, of, of Emperor Palpatine. And interestingly enough, the the character had appeared in the previous one, but it was done as a hologram and, and uh, the... A voice actor named Clive Rebel did the the voice of the Emperor, and it was a uh, it was a woman uh, wearing a hood, and then chimpanzee eyes were superimposed over her uh, over her face. But uh, apparently, George Lucas did not intend to use uh, Ian McDermott's on screen voice uh, for the Emperor in this film. But uh, you know, never the. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, you know, he uh, was so impressed, or I should say director Richard Marquand was, was so impressed with uh, McDermott's performance and, and the voice that he had come up with for the Emperor that, that he convinced George Lucas to, um, to, to, to instead use uh, McDermott's uh, actual voice and, and what a what a what a mistake that would have been to have have denied us of of Ian McDermott's chilling and and calculating and and just evil uh, performance as as the Emperor. He really is a highlight of 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 the Star Wars trilogy, but particularly of this film. And and I mean, here's another fun fact: he was only thirty seven years old 
in this movie. Uh, again, he's playing somebody who's supposed to be well over 100, but he's, he's 37 uh, years old uh, in this film, and yet he did, he, he just tapped into something and created this frightening and, and, and evil character who personifies our worst fears, a politician with, with unlimited and absolute power. <laughs> now, the emperor was not uh, slated to appear in this film. Uh, in the early draft stages, um, before the, the final uh, film was, was constructed, uh, there was plans to do a sequel trilogy, 7, 8, and 9, and those films would have focused on Luke finding his long-lost sister and then confronting the Emperor in a final showdown. Again, I don't know how far that went in terms of development, but uh, uh, originally the Emperor was going to be saved as the uh, as the final bad guy, if you will. But uh, everything was condensed more or less into this into this third uh, installment and sixth film overall. And I think ultimately it was, it was the right it was the right call because it gives this original trilogy a nice concise feeling. And of course, you get the feeling with. With uh, that Palpatine, this is this is the real power here. This is the real, the real bad guy. <laughs> now Yoda, uh, who makes his return, was actually was slated not to even be in the film. Um, at one point, Yoda was not even in the script. But after consulting with a child psychologist about the whole Darth Vader's parentage revelation. Uh, George Lewis thought he needed a uh, an authority figure to confirm the fact that Vader was Luke's father. So that is the reason why Yoda appears in this film. Uh, and, I, and I think it was, again, outside of the story elements, bringing back Yoda was a great call because he was such a breakout character in in the last film to to not have him in this one, I think would have been a a bit of a letdown. So I was I was definitely glad to see him. Uh, to see him return, but there's the uh, there's the truth behind Yoda's uh, uh, Yoda's almost absence in this film. A foot tall puppet is in fact a real creature. I mean, you just buy it based on on Hamill's performance. It really feels like this student teacher relationship. And Yoda, Yoda confirms it. I, I can't, this is another situation I would love to have gone back in in time and be able to see what audiences' reactions were to this particular scene because I, I think largely audiences accepted that that Vader was telling the truth. But uh, I, I've read stuff over the years that that you know, said a lot of people. Thought, oh, maybe he's lying or maybe not. So I'm, I, I'm, I would be curious to know what people thought of this particular scene, particularly if you were on the fence of whether or not uh, you believed, in fact, Vader was Luke's father. But uh, again, this was a scene that that Lucas realized he needed after speaking with a couple of child psychologists to kind of, you know, sort of figure out the impact of of, of Darth Vader dropping that uh, that truth bomb on Luke in the last movie. Uh, which, again, probably the, the greatest cinematic twist of all time. Uh, just n- nothing, nothing compares to that. Nothing compares to Vader's uh, revelation that he's his father.
such a bittersweet end that uh, Yoda meets his end here. But in many ways, fitting fitting for the character Yoda, going out uh, on his own terms, going out with with peace and dignity, and you know, going away a, a, a true Jedi might, you know, a monk, if you will, kind of no grand grand finish, you no know, grand fight, but but just peace and and, and understanding. Acceptance. You know, about ready to drop another truth on another truth bomb on on Luke about the other Skywalker. Spoiler alert, Luke! It's your sister. <laughs> And I don't think the director Richard Marquand gets enough credit. Uh, this this was a, a monumental task to, to direct this movie again, coming off of the previous two, especially with the Empire Strikes Back, and and knowing that this was the final, uh, you know, meant to be the final installment of of the saga. Just the expectations riding on him, uh, and he was an, an experienced director uh, with, in terms of you know special effects and and, and big budgets, but. Um, I, I think he pulled it off uh, quite well. He famously said it, it was like directing King Lear with with Shakespeare in the next next room, and that was uh, in, in reference to uh, uh, to, uh, to to George Lucas, who was on the set uh, throughout uh, much of this film's uh, production because he, uh, you know, felt that because the budget had gone way over. In, in the Empire Strikes Back, he, he really needed to to hold the line with with this film, but also just the complexities of it. But uh, I, I thought that was an interesting uh, quote from uh, from Richard Marquand that he uh, compared it to directing uh, you know a, a work of Shakespeare uh, and, and and having uh, the the great bard in, in in the next room must have been daunting because I mean again you know George Lucas created it all and you're just uh, trying to execute that vision. Return of Alec Guinness to the uh, role of Obi Wan. And, and some of you uh, may or may not know this, but Alec Guinness was not a fan of Star Wars. Uh, yeah, he he respected it. He 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 enjoyed the role. He did his he did his job, and and certainly brought a, a level of gravitas to that to the first film but uh you know, he he famously went on the record about how he was not a a fan of the the phenomenon star wars uh had become and and you know certainly you know to to each his own but uh it, it's always interesting uh, when you you read about read of these actors from uh you know ma- many revered actors from these you know larger than life films and 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 pop culture uh icons and and they just sort of brush aside uh, you know roles that that perhaps they may be most most remembered for most recognized uh, in, in being a part of. I love this whole scene right here. And Luke, Luke you know, was sort of going against the central argument. He he 
doesn't see the solution to, to just killing his father. He figures there's got to be something more. There's got to be something more than just trying to, to solve this with, with, with anger and hate. Really shows the contrast in the two philosophies of Luke and 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 Ben and Yoda. That really are uh, and the old the old dogmas and and Luke representing the uh, the fresh perspective. Alec Guinness did bring such authority to the role, and, and again, you believe believe his words, and just when he when he speaks, you listen. Oh, Luke put it together. <laughs> lot to lot to unpack. Later is his sister, but what? People have often pointed out, um, an inconsistency or a plot hole, if you will, that Han and and Lando don't have any sort of reckoning with one another given how in the last film they uh, were sort of at odds because Lando had had, had betrayed uh, or sold out Han and, and Leia to, to Vader and the Emperor, uh, the Empire uh, but of course you know, he later he, he redeemed himself later on in, in the film but uh, Han had no, no knowledge of that because he was trapped in the Carbonite and uh, there, there's really no uh, you know sort of clearing of the water in this film uh, though I, I think it's more it just sort of implied uh, you know than, than, than actually stated uh, but again I think you know those those are, are plot holes or, or inconsistencies that you can uh, overlook because at, at the end of it th this film it's about the story of, of, of Luke and his father it's it's this battle for the soul of of of, of a lost Jedi and, and a Jedi trying to find his way and, and ultimately trying to, to pull his, uh, his, his dad back. The character Mon Mothma, again, just sort of almost a, I want to say a throwaway character in this film, but has, has taken on a much larger importance in, in some of the, 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 the later projects of, First in in Rogue One, and uh, now in in, in the, the Disney Plus show Andor, which uh, you know, sidebar I would recommend uh, to every Star Wars fan and even to the casual one. Andor uh, is not like a traditional Star Wars uh, project. It, it is very. It, it's almost like a political drama than a space fantasy story, and it. And it it, I, I hope more people discover it because I think it, it 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 has some of the best Star Wars stories since the original uh, films. There's just such a lot of weight and nuance to just sort of the grand struggle of of the galaxy in the, in the early uh, days and, and later days of the uh, of the Empire before the Rebellion was born. Uh, just again, a sidebar. Uh, after seeing that, after seeing that character, now enter Admiral Akbar, probably one of the most memorable characters from 
this movie and, and perhaps in all of Star Wars. Uh, remembered perhaps because he's a, a giant uh, walking calamari. Uh, but uh, perhaps a bigger thing is the line that he is often associated with and, and uh, recounted and repeated at various uh, moments uh, throughout pop culture. Uh, the line being, it's a trap. Uh, that was my best uh, Akbar uh, impersonation. But interestingly enough, that was not the original line in the script. It was, it's a trick. But they changed it, I believe, in post-production. And thus, a, a thousand memes were born. But uh, yeah, just a fun character. Again, th- this movie has such so many memorable standout creatures from Akbar. Uh, Jabba the Hutt, all of Jabba's palace and creatures and whatnot, to say nothing of the Ewoks that'll be coming uh, coming down the line in just a little bit. I love this part. The squad is reunited again. I like how there's little hints starting in, in Empire, but certainly in this first part of the film that, that Leia suspects something is is up, that, that there might be something more uh, going on with Luke, with Luke than meets the eye. Uh, again, there's always the great payoff later on. Han about to say goodbye to the Millennium Falcon. A lot of this was done with with matte paintings, uh, some some actual sets, but a lot of it was matte paintings, and you don't see much of that today just because of uh, you know digital technology and the like. But uh, it's uh, it's all it's all on full display uh, here in, in in this particular film. In one draft, and again, I don't know how far this got along, but there was discussion of having the Millennium Falcon destroyed or, or, or badly damaged during the the, the battle over Endor, uh, but uh, luckily the, the great ship made it through uh, unscathed. It's actually funny, this, Han Solo does not pilot the Millennium Falcon on screen in this entire film, and, and does not pilot it again until the the Force Awakens. So, uh, you know, for all you you continuity buffs out there, The Empire Strikes Back was the last time that Han was uh, in the pilot in the in in the captain's chair aboard the Millennium Falcon. Again, just little little fun uh, notes to pass to you in, uh, in passing. Here we go again. I know sometimes it gets criticized that, oh, they're you know going after the Death Star again, but I never had an issue with it, to be honest. I, I thought it was, it would make sense that the Empire would want to you know, build that, that weapon again. You know, again, they don't realize their own mistakes. Uh, sort of that's the historical precedent of all, of all authoritarians and, and dictators. Uh, they, they tend to be done in by their own uh, their own delusions and, and repetition of mistakes. At least that's what uh, has happened in history. But a lot of a lot of parallels, certainly with with Rome and uh, you know, even even Nazi Germany, 
uh, in in the Star Wars films. Uh, you could definitely see them as, as almost allegory for uh, for political uh, episodes that have happened in, in, in world history. Again, so amazing that Ian McDermott was was 37 years old playing the Emperor. He just... Uh, I, 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 he never fails to amaze. Uh, th- this, I, I have to say, I think is his best performance, though I do enjoy his work in Revenge of the Sith. He, he certainly has more to do action-wise, and it's it's an unleashed performance. But but th- this is the one that, that always you remember, Vin, as there's so many great lines of dialogue and and just the the look of the Emperor I, I don't think ever got as creepy as this particular film. This, again, sort of foreshadowing things to come. I kind of feel like Darth Vader is having maybe another moment of of weakness or maybe not weakness but starting to to question his uh his own evil ways uh, in some in some sense again it comes into much greater play later on but you can see the seeds being planted uh, early on in the story that uh you know despite the technological fight and the you know, spaceship battle this this story and and this film is really about a father and a son and and, and about a, a a fight for redemption and 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 a return to uh to the light i always love the way they shoot vader he's just so imposing and, and terrifying and just the way this angle is shot it looks like he's 10 feet tall <laughs> compared to the uh compared to the uh, admirals I love how Han is just like, okay, I don't know, fly casual. <laughs> Again, you just sort of those those little moments of nuance uh, just sort of add to Vader's complexity as a villain. He's not a a, a black and white villain in, in the way that, say, the Emperor is. He's much more complex and, and nuanced, uh, much more a tragic villain than anything else. And I think that's what makes him so compelling, very Shakespearean. In a lot of ways, a lot of Shakespeare elements in Star Wars as well, with with the twist and the and the tragic characters and uh, the, the the grandiose speeches, particularly from the uh, uh, the evildoers. This film is just just beautifully shot, beautifully shot. All all the films, I think, the cinematography is just fantastic, but. Here we go to Endor, the forest moon of Endor. All shot in the in the redwood forest up in up in northern northern California. And, and even though this was was shot here in in the states, not on a back lot, but it, it feels and looks like another planet. And again, that really goes to the believability of of the world and of of the characters. I mean, if you can believe in the the world you're going to believe in in everything else even if it gets to fantastical uh heights uh, always i always loved how each of the the star wars films take place on at least one or two different planets and and it's such exotic origin i mean you've got tatooine in the first film which is this desert planet and then in the second film uh, the empire strikes back you've got the ice planet of hoth and later cloud city on on bespin and you know, here you've got the uh, the forest moon of Endor, and and certainly the 
the Ewoks uh, are a source of, of controversy. Uh, definitely that's probably the most divisive aspect of the film. I have to say I never had an issue with it. I mean, yeah, they, they look like teddy bears at, at times and, um, you know, they're, 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 you know, cute and cuddly and, and certainly you know, prime, uh, you know, merchandising opportunities. But I, I always liked the symbolism of the Ewoks, you know, kind of representing the, 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 the little guy going up against the, the mighty aggressor that is the Empire. And again, it sort of goes to the hubris of, of the of, of the Empire in these movies that they think they can just conquer anybody and nothing can happen. Uh, and yet they're uh, essentially taken down by by a, a primitive alien race with nothing more than sticks and rocks and, and trees. And yet they, they topple this mighty empire. It's, it's again, it's a lot of historical undertones uh, with it in, in that you know, reassurance that the good guy can still, can still fight out and, and win the day. Now, the way they shot the speeder bike sequence. Now, this was another set, uh, another scene that I I was always reenacting this as a kid. I was always running, you know, riding around on my bike and pretending I was Luke, uh, going up against the uh, uh, the stormtroopers on the bike. So they always these are so cool. Like if this could exist in real life, oh my god, it'd be be awesome. But um, the way this was shot, because again, it's largely done on location. A uh, little bit of blue screen. Uh, with the with with the behind shots, but how they how they did this was they would they took a camera or they took a, a steady cam, and they had uh, the camera operator walk at a normal speed, recording going through the forest amidst the trees and the the logs and whatnot. And then when they took it into production, they sped it up so it looks like they're actually going at such an incredible speed. And again, much like other scenes in this film. I'm amazed, and I frankly shouldn't even say that. It's incredible how this film is held up 40 years later. This film looks and feels like it was it was just made yesterday with today's technology. And again, I think that speaks to the level of the craftsmanship and the uh, you know inge- uh, ingenuity. But uh, yeah, that's how they uh, that's how they did the speeder bike. It was all all done there with it with a camera, just walking at normal speed through the forest, and then. Uh, you know, speeding it up uh, later on in production. So intense, too. Nope, he got it. <laughs> I love this part with Luke. It's so... It's, just, it's like one of those, like... It's a small, almost throwaway moment, but you really get the sense that Luke has grown... Uh, and developed as a Jedi and is no longer just sort of the, the student. You know, he really is becoming this full-fledged uh, warrior, if you will. And again, just these little moments here, especially when he pulls the lightsaber out uh, in just a bit and, and cuts down the speeder. Uh, again, just shows his his growth as a character. And I think he really does have a, a fantastic arc, considering where he started in, in A New Hope to where he is now. Uh, it's, it, it's a full-fledged uh, hero's journey. Oh, he's gone too. I'm just waiting around for Luke and Leia. 
this was just a cool setting for for a planet. Again, different environment, different world, uh, and, I, and I think it does fit with the tone of the film and, and the overall story. I guess at various points in the early drafts, it was talk of actually showing the planet Coruscant, which doesn't appear until, well, it does appear later on in the special edition cuts, but uh, uh, it doesn't actually appear in, in full until uh, the prequel films. But there was talk of having it, discussion of having it take place on their kind of a final battle. Uh, but uh, you know, they everything kind of got gelled together here. And again, just sort of interesting to think of the what ifs. All right, here comes our our lead Ewok, uh, Wicket, I believe is his name. Well, never actually said in the film. And now, interestingly, this uh, character uh, uh, of Wicket is played by Warwick Davis, and uh, all you horror buffs may know him from the Leprechaun movies. He plays the uh, the titular character. Uh, he was also in Willow. Uh, as well, which is kind of another underrated, underrated classic. Uh, but uh, now he uh, he is the uh, the little Ewok, and this role was originally meant for uh, Kenny Baker, uh, who played R two D two, and uh, he would, fell ill uh, before shooting, and, and uh, they had to find someone else to uh, play the uh, the character. So uh, Wicked uh, or uh, Warwick Davis was. Uh, was cast and the, and the rest was history. Now there's sort of a dark element to to the Ewoks that it's sort of glossed over in the film, but when you look at it and think about it in in, uh, in total, and these are kind of aggressive uh, creatures. Uh, the fact that they were going to uh, essentially uh, roast and eat Han and Luke later on uh, kind of suggests that these are these are uh, creatures not to be trifled with here on Endor uh, but again it's sort of not really spelled out uh, in, in full in the final uh, film but you know once you think about it sort of look at uh, some of their scenes these are these are not necessarily cute teddy bears uh, though actually in the early script they were going to be Wookiees. This was going to be a Wookiee planet. Uh, that would, of course, later be revisited with Revenge of the Sith. But, uh, of course, with, with you know Chewie being the, the prominent Wookiee, uh, the decision was made to make them uh, what they are. But um, I guess in the, in, in the production stages, uh, the, cre- uh, the, uh, the Ewoks were more uh, animalistic and less uh, less a kind of teddy bearish, uh, and that was a note from from George Lucas. He wanted to go more with the uh, I hate to say cute and cuddly, but that was more uh, more of his preference than these sort of almost uh, like mini Bigfoot like creatures. And if, if you've ever seen some of the early production uh, designs and artwork, the look of the Ewoks is is much different than what we what we see in the final film. This is another great part here. Little uh, little wicket saves the day. I love how Leia just again is a total badass. <laughs> Leia is not a damsel in distress. Never has been. Never will be. This is so funny. <laughs> there we go. Off to just picks him up. 
again the, these these uh, little critters are so synonymous with this with this film. Uh, you, know, you can't think of Return of the Jedi without thinking about a few Ewoks. <laughs> Back to the Death Star. Throne room was such a cool design. It's a huge set too. I've seen the production photos of it, and it's, it was a massive set. Vader. Now, the the chair the emperor sits in is iconic, but the way it was, the way it was rigged, um, they never could get the timing right. So when it slides over. Um, you know, it was supposed to you know, move at the exact moment, but it was never right. So it would either be delayed or, or, or happen too quickly. And so Ian McDermott is actually moving the chair with his feet. Uh, and again, he's in the robes, so you, you really can't see it. But they could never get the platform to turn, uh, the turntable to, to pivot. So he ended up moving it along uh, with, his, with, his, uh, with his feet. And again, had to get the timing so precise, but uh, that was how they did it. wasn't uh, wasn't a, me a mechanical fix, but a uh, but a, a human fix. You just wouldn't mess with the emperor; just the embodiment of of all things evil. <laughs> oh, Leia's helmet. I might as well take this opportunity because uh, I, I don't anticipate another uh, uh, full Star Wars discussion at some point uh, down the line. But um, I have to say, you know, as someone who who has enjoyed all, you know, more or less enjoyed all the Star Wars films, I mean, I have my my preferences uh, to say the least, particularly uh, the original uh, six. Uh, I will never understand uh, for the life of me why when. Uh, they did the the new films. Uh, why there was never a decision to have uh, Han, Luke, and Leia reunited on screen uh, one more time. Uh, it would seem to me in in the early story discussions uh, that that should have been a no brainer. I mean, again, I know it's I mean it's neither here nor there at this point, and you know sadly won't uh, won't ever happen again. But uh, I think even Mark Hamill has said that it seemed kind of a, a missed opportunity that you know you have the three actors together again. Uh, you know they were never, never on screen uh, after this film. Uh, but I suppose we we had these movies to cherish, and that's at the end of the day that's that's good enough. <laughs> Han, can you reach my lightsaber? <laughs> Love the way he says. So funny the way he says it. <laughs> nope, down they go. Now the full, full Ewoks. <laughs> like what the hell? <laughs> Gone up against Darth Vader and Wampas, and now, now it's Ewoks. <laughs> I think Harrison Ford, uh, and I might be wrong, but I, I don't think uh, Harrison Ford has been uh, uh, on the record of saying he liked the Ewoks. I don't think he, uh, I don't think he cared too much for the uh, for the little critters, but uh, you know, I, I, I don't mind him. 
Always, always a good blaster by your side. Again, it just it's it's sometimes overlooked, uh, but just the subtleties with Luke, and and like you know, the previous version of the character in, in the other films might have been more impulsive or reactive, but you know here you can really see that he's he's becoming a Jedi Knight. He's, he's you know showing patience and realizing that's a virtue and. And, and and knowing when to to fight and when to when to keep your mouth shut uh again you really see uh, the full development of of his character and uh you know for anyone that says all oh, the star wars films don't have any real real story they're just spectacle well uh, I, I i would i would argue i would argue against that line <laughs> c3po a god <laughs> Love Luke's reaction. <laughs> My mistake. It's like here here's where like you could really read the dark <laughs> the dark side of the uh of the Ewoks. I mean literally they're all you know, being tied to to sticks and logs, are going to be put over the fire for dinner. I mean, again, it's it's sort of played for laughs, and it, and it all works out. But you could you know read a dark element to this particular scene. I mean, I know people like to say, "Oh, they're cute and cuddly," and but I mean, right here, I mean, they're, they're clearly you know uh, fit and hot and, and look to be uh, uh, made for dinner. I mean, <laughs> Again, another scene that, that I, I I like coming up where Luke uses his uses his power uh, to uh, help them out of this situation. Now, if you were uh, playing a drinking game with this movie, uh, you missed an opportunity with uh, Han saying, "I've got a bad feeling about this." <laughs> Probably the the most uh, repeated line in all of Star Wars, and I think it's been said by. By pretty much every every character in in all of the films, and again, just sort of sums up uh, any any dire situation that the characters find themselves in. Again, the, the, you sort of think of things that make up Star Wars. You know, you, you got to have that line in there at least at least once. I mean, so these people, these uh, these critters are dangerous. I mean, they're armed. They got they got spears and sticks and and, and sharp <laughs> sharp uh, pieces of wood. I mean, these are they're not to be trifled with. <laughs> See, three PO trying to to calm them down. <laughs> it, it, it's funny too. It's it's often thought because. 
you know, there, there is a, a somewhat divisive reaction. I mean, you know, I don't want to say it was mixed, but, you know, some people have very strong feelings about this film one way or another. Uh, I, I definitely come down on the, uh, on the pro side, but, uh, yeah, I've often heard in, in passing over the years, people say, oh, well, the, the third one didn't, didn't do as well. Well, uh, you know, money talks. And, uh, this film was not only the highest grossing film of 19, uh, 1983, but I mean, if you were to just, you know, compare it to today's dollars, I mean, the film made $475 million worldwide in 1983, which was a lot of money, of course, back then. But if you were to compare it today, this would be over a billion dollars worldwide. So, uh, you know, to, to say that this movie was not a success, no, th this was uh, a huge success. And I think, I think sometimes modern day uh, revisits or sort of people watching it uh, after the fact uh, can, can impact opinions too, because uh, I've seen various clips of audience reactions to the film right after it was released 40 years ago and unanimous approval. So again, I, I think it's almost more of a modern uh, take that, oh, this movie isn't as good as the other two. And, and, and I, I think it's just as good as as the other two just as strong and as i've said before this is this is my favorite one uh, of the original three i, I love this one uh, i i wore out the tape uh repeating it uh replaying it time and again again it, it has all the elements of star wars as the humor as the suspense it has the drama it has i think probably the best lightsaber fight of the entire saga because it's not just a a, a fight there's it's more of a of a psychological and, and philosophical battle as well. Here we go. So C-3PO telling the, telling the story of uh, what the rebels have been going through these last uh, number of years to try and recruit the Ewoks. <laughs> One of the other endings that was, what was discussed, uh, again, I know how, far it, it got along but uh the ending of this film was meant to be i don't want to say bleak but more uh akin to like a spaghetti western or, or a lot of like the old uh clint eastwood uh cowboy films where at the end of the movie luke was meant to walk off alone into the sunset uh you know not defeated but sort of uh, exhausted by his whole ordeal and I mean, you know, there's perhaps an argument to be made that that would have been more of a of a, uh, a psychological and an, and an emotional ending, but I I, I still stand by I, I think the the way this film comes together and the way it ends, uh, you couldn't have had anything better. Uh, I really do think this film lands uh, exactly where it needs to be, and it does. Uh, the job of a trilogy. It does the job of a third party. It goes back and reveals some information we thought to be true uh, that turns out it wasn't, and and kind of puts the hero through uh, a final a final test. Uh, and that's really what these films have been all about leading up to this. It's really been a, a battle for Luke's soul vis-a-vis uh, -vis Darth Vader, and it all it all comes to a head with this particular film. Oh, Luke knows he's there. Again, I, I don't think Mark Hamill gets enough credit for his portrayal uh, in, in these films, particularly in this one. This is, a, I think, his strongest of the original trilogy, and frankly, of all of the films. Uh, he's really carrying 
the the picture and it's 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 his story it's his emotional journey <laughs> seminal scene right here and and I, I i always like a scene in any movie but but particularly in a star wars film where it's just two people talking. You've got the powerful music by John Williams, and then you've just got two characters discussing something important. And, and this right here, it really encapsulates the whole the whole trilogy and, and much of the saga, which is it is about this family these these two twins, and then the the downfall of their of their corrupted father, and the fate of the galaxy. This was something that I wish the sequel films would have explored more: the the the, the dynamic between Luke and Leia, and and their their complicated relationship with their father. Uh, you know, again, the fact that you know you know Vader is Luke's father, but he's also Leia's father, and I always felt like that did not get its proper due in the in the sequel films. But uh, again, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Just mention that in passing. Hamill's acting is it's it's solid here. It's really solid. Can I, I I don't think he gets enough credit for this. <laughs> Another famous line coming up. Force is strong in my family. Revelation here. <laughs> and that's the thing about Star Wars. I mean, George Lucas has said this many, many times over the years. It's not about spaceships. It's not about lightsaber battles. It's a family soap opera, or he calls it a family you know, space opera. Uh, but, but it is. It's about a, a, a clearly dysfunctional and complicated family uh, set against the, the backdrop of a of a civil war, uh, you know, with with the uh, with the government and the uh, insurgents, but it but at its core, it's it's about family, and I think that's what makes Star Wars so compelling and and in a way universal because you know not to not to pick on on Star Trek, but but to me, Star Trek doesn't have this sort of same emotional weight. As, as as Star Wars does, uh, these films have a lot of a lot of uh, heavy material going on. And again, I think it, it's easy for critics uh, and cynics to be like, "Oh, it's just all about space wizards and and flashy battles." No, there's there's a real heart and soul to these films, and it's and it's about this uh, this very complicated and fractured family, uh, as well as of course you know the battle for. For liberty and, and freedom and democracy against tyranny and uh, authoritarianism. Again, growth here for Han uh, as well. You know, he's sort of lost his hothead edge, and now he's, uh, you know, he's uh, 
matured and, and, and mellowed and, and realized realized his place and knows where he has to be. I love this moment with, between them. Again, their, their love story, it's not flashy, it's not in your face, it's it's done through subtleties and, and, and small conversations, but you really do get the sense that these two characters love and, and care about each other. All right, here he comes, the arrival of the arrival of Dad Vader. <laughs> this upcoming scene is a top five Star Wars moment for me. Uh, just the entire sequence, the the dialogue. Again, there's no confrontation of sorts. It's just two people talking, but. At its core, th this is the heart and soul and struggle of this entire film, of this entire trilogy. And it's really in this scene that you see Vader begin to crack. And again, for a character that's in a mask, you really do get to, to read and see his expression. Uh, and that's again, a testament to the camera work and, and lighting. But no, I, I love this. I love this scene. Uh, just again, the, the first showdown, if you will, between father and son. And again, Luke is no longer afraid. Luke, you know, they're sort of they're on equal terms at this point, and you know, Luke is desperate, trying to to plead with his father to to join him and come back. Again, some of the best scenes in Star Wars are just two people talking. I love this part right here. Luke throwing some sass. Oh, yeah, you can see yeah that that cut yeah you can see that cut, Dad. <laughs> Again, just the camera work, the lighting on Vader, it really plays into his inner conflict. That's again brilliant visual storytelling. Uh, you got a character all in all in black and in a mask, and how are you going to show expression? Vader trying out Luke's lightsaber. And you almost get this as sort of like a, a, a strange, like backhanded compliment where Vader is, some, is somehow saying that he's proud of his son. I mean, cause even he can acknowledge that he is, he has grown and, and matured and, and gone a long way from the, uh, the scrappy uh, rebel he met in the last film. And again, you get to start to see the, the stakes here. Vader is saying that he's he's trapped; he can't get out. Uh, he's he's there on the dark side, and and Luke pretty much saying that he'll he'd rather die than than do it. That's a brilliantly written scene. Camera work, close-ups. Again, just. It's it's perfect. It really captures the struggle of this film, the central conflict. Now I've often seen people be like, "Oh, you know, Luke should have you know, used his Jedi powers here and got out of it." And he's like, "No, that's that's not the point. You know, Luke is he's surrendering. He he's he's willingly going into the belly of the beast." Uh, in order to try to to prove his point, to see if he's he's right, and kind of you know, 
proving that that theory uh, by Obi-Wan in the first film, that there are alternatives to fighting. Again, I, I just love how everything kind of circles back to what we've seen before. We get to see the ultimate uh, payoff for it in, in this particular film. Again, does what all, all good trilogies should do, which is to bring us full circle. Uh, to quote Darth Vader, the circle is now complete. Again, a combination of both on-set locations and then uh, a little bit of studio work and then matte paintings. Again, if I didn't tell you that, you probably wouldn't, uh, probably wouldn't have known it was a matte painting unless you've uh, uh, watched all the documentaries like I have. But a lot of cross-cutting in in this film. A lot of a lot of intercutting with the different stories and and setups and it, and it all pays off so well it's sort of like when, when one character situation is going bad the other ones is rising and then it reverses and then everything kind of ultimately crescendos uh, at the very end Admiral Akbar. Billy Dee Williams is great in these films. Absolutely great. And I was so glad to see him return in the uh, in episode nine, uh, albeit for a small, a smaller role. But uh, uh, Lando's a, Lando's another great character. And again, Billy Dee Williams plays him with such such charm and and uh, and, and swagger, and yet just you know you just get the sense you know, he's just he's a good guy. Uh, you know, sidebar uh, you know, if you're a fan of, of the Batman movies uh, you'll know that uh, he plays Harvey Dent in the first Batman film starring Michael Keaton and, and Jack Nicholson and uh, what just talk about a missed opportunity uh, it, it, I would love to see a, 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 a version of, of Billy D. Williams Two-Face in the Tim Burton our world, uh, such a such a lost opportunity. Um, you know, again, sort of that's the way it crumbled. But uh, you know, he he he's he's an underrated actor. I think he really always managed to elevate any any movie that he's in, and, and kind of brings a a unique uh, just coolness to his to his characters. <laughs> All right, the Ewoks are stepping up, showing their end of the bargain. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> uh, uh, see three people. Always the always the pacifist. <laughs> see, this is humor that that I, that I appreciate. Again, it kind of works in the situation. Uh, works in the in the moment. <laughs> it's not just slapstick for slapstick's sake. I mean, to me, I think humor works best in a movie when it when it arises naturally out of the story, out of the situations, and comes from the characters and their overall experience. 
Now, these whole scenes in the bunkers were actually much longer and, and more uh, intricate, uh, but uh, they, they, were, they were cut in, in post-production. I, I would presume just to speed up the overall story and to kind of keep the, the editing uh, fast and, and, and quick-paced. Easily the best sequences of the whole film coming up, the whole confrontation between Luke, Vader, and the Emperor. And again, some of the best Star Wars dialogue is is coming up. Again, courtesy of of the Emperor. Again, it's it's all kind of a, a psychological battle, a philosophical battle, as well as a physical one. Uh, there's a lot lot going on in this particular in this particular scene. And again, you know, fans of 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 this of this series will know that this is. Uh, eerily reminiscent of what happens in, in episode 3 at the beginning with Anakin and Obi-Wan and again Palpatine in a, in a, in a chair uh, you know with a, again a different battle uh, but again the same kind of stakes and, and situation all about the uh, the master mind and, and manipulations of, of the Emperor Love how Luke just stands up to him. Even Vader's taking a back belly kick. What are you doing, son? <laughs> Again, talk about just embodying a character. I mean, Ian McDermott, he's just, he's creepy to look at. Uh, but yet you can't take your eyes off him. And it's just, it's a masterclass performance in, a, in, in the ultimate villain. Which is why, again, sidebar, but I, I do not know why they brought this character back uh, in, in the sequel trilogy. Uh, but that, that's for that's a discussion for another day. Uh, uh, <laughs> just his laugh, it's so subtle. Again, really props to, to the director, Richard Marquand, because he, he, he persuaded George uh, Lucas to, to use... Uh, McDermott's voice because it it just embodies the character. You couldn't have dubbed any other actor over over this performance. It, it's so intricate, intricate and connected with uh, McDermott's body language and just his his expressions. And a real disservice. Now the tables are being turned. Once again, the Emperor is ahead of everybody else. <laughs> he is so... He's just so evil. <laughs> no one else could, could play the Emperor. He is, he is the, the perfect casting. And, and, like, this is a role, like, I wouldn't want to see anybody else take on. It, it's so... Synonymous with uh, with the McDermott. Again, you know, the balance starts to shift. You know, Luke Luke might be in trouble now. Things are looking up for Han and and Leia. They've they've seized the bunker. Again, I mean, it's just classic drama, uh, but again, it's sort of nice to see it all play out together uh, in, in a lot of. Uh, cross-cutting of, of, of stories. Uh, you know, there are some instances in, in movies where this can be overloaded or, or not or not done well, but uh, here it works. It works brilliantly. 
another another line rebel scum <laughs> again there's so, so many so many lines from this film all right now lando's lando's here again i, I just love how just you know the, the drama continues to build and build and build And again, you have to give the hat tip to John Williams. I mean, the master himself. Uh, he, his music is is instrumental to the film's uh, success. I yeah, see what I did there. Instrumental, um, but uh, no, it, it truly is. It's it's a key key element to this to the story and to the to the tension and drama. Music is never background noise. It is if if used effectively and 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 well it can be just as intricate to the story and that is certainly the case in, in star wars again the music is i mean you can just get pumped up i'm getting pumped up just watching it <laughs> oh here it comes it's a trap <laughs> there it is this is a great sequence to see on the big screen. I mean, again, Star Wars is meant to see, to be seen on the big screen. That's why I I really take some issue with the Disney Plus stuff because to me, Star Wars should not be just confined to the to the TV screen or just to your computer. You really should should see it on the biggest screen imaginable. And I hope that in the future there'll be more emphasis on Star Wars movies as opposed to the Disney Plus stuff. And just trying to goad Luke into attacking him. Ah, the master manipulator at work once again. <laughs> He's one of those characters you, you you love to hate the Emperor. You love to hate him. I mean, his dialogue is so great, and 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 McDermott just brings such relish to the role. But I mean, this is a this is a vile, contemptible character that is single handedly brought all, brought the galaxy to this point. I mean. You want to know the perpetrator? He's sitting right there, right in the throne room. <laughs> I love this line. Mine. <laughs> Things do not look good for our for our rebel friends. Again, all this is real. And again, I know I know I make that point a lot, but I mean, it it really goes a long way in having the practical effects, the you know, an actual crowd as opposed to just a digital representation of it. It really speaks volumes and just adds so much more credibility to the story. Uh, so I mean, I, I love it, you know, especially in the modern age. Uh, you know, I I think of Christopher Nolan as an example where. There's a priority to, to you know, still doing it in camera and real filmmaking as opposed to, oh, we'll just do it all in post. We'll do it all on the computer. Again, there's a tool. It can be used that way, but it should not be a, a crutch. And I think sometimes uh, you know, modern uh, directors will use it that way and just create kind of a, a digital canvas as opposed to something real and, and, and tangible. He walks to the rescue. 
again, I, I love what this represents. It's, you know, it doesn't matter your your might if you have will and and determination, you can overcome any force. Uh, you know, in this particular case, the uh, the empire is no match for the resilience of 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 the rebels, but also the cunning of of the Ewoks. It's intense, Val. Good shit. Shit is going down on Endor. <laughs> not a, not an outdoor adventure. <laughs> not a backyard camping trip. Oh, I got him. <laughs> Pelting with rocks. <laughs> Oh, these things were so cool. The uh, the chicken walkers, I think they were uh, lovingly called by the uh, by the effects team. Again, primitive tools and and technology, but yet they're able to to conquer the might and steel of the empire. And I love how it shows that the Ewoks keep perfecting their their equipment, you know, as they realize they have to find other ways to, to counter the Empire's threat. When I had my, my Star Wars action figures growing up, I used to love reenacting this this whole sequence. I would like go outside in, in the backyard and you know get a bunch of sticks and twigs and dirt and whatnot and I mean just recreate this whole ending sequence. Again, it was easy to do, you know, especially with the backyard. You didn't need uh, that much in the way of imagination. Just uh, a few Star Wars figurines and play sets and then the uh, the backyard took care of the rest. Again, they're they're learning, they're perfecting. Love the way this scene cuts. Right, yeah, oh, that's so cool. I know I'm in the I'm I'm sure I'm in the minority, but I like this space battle better than a New Hope. Uh, again, everything you know had had fleshed out in terms of the special effect shots and being able to kind of move the the ships around at a faster rate and, and speed. But just the scope of this, uh, I, I think it's just it's grander and it's, it really does feel like this is the final battle uh, between good and evil. But. Uh, like I said, I'm sure I'm in the minority with that opinion. So uh, send send your comments to uh, all the social media handles. Once again, the emperor about to turn the table here again. Death Star is operational. <laughs> The makeup is so good on him. 
unsettling and creepy. I mean, like the the worst of Freddy Krueger and the Frankenstein monster combined. That thing's operational. the shit out of him. <laughs> I never get tired of watching this film. It's, it's always it's always a pleasure to uh, to revisit it. Oh, it goes hard too. Big moment here. The fight is about to begin. Again, the pacing works. You're just, in one moment you're there, then it cuts back. Never feels like it's rushed. Everything builds. Everything's been building to this, really. This is the, this is the big, the big moment, the big showdown. Another another famous emperor line, strike me down. Uh, so much great so much great dialogue in this movie. I love this part. There we go. The fight begins. <laughs> the Emperor just laughing because that's what he wants. Oh. Pure evil. Pure evil. So funny.
So apparently when they were shooting this film, because there was so much concern about the uh, you know, script and the story being leaked out, uh, they created a, fall, a false name, which a lot of times uh, movies will do uh, they'll have a fake production name in order just to kind of keep uh, snoopers and whatnot uh, at bay. But the, 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 the thinking also behind it was because this was the third Star Wars film and expectations were already high, um, Lucasfilm thought, well, let's try to keep our cost low because... You know, because everyone knew it was a Star Wars film, they figured, oh, money's no object. And, uh, you know, something that might have cost $10 became $20. So that was the other thinking behind the uh, the false title. But the, the name Blue Harvest with the tagline, Horror Beyond Imagination. Uh, kind of a, a funny little setup there. But, uh, you know, again, they, the, the lengths they went to to try and uh, keep people... Uh, Keep people at bay and uh, not have any uh, any any uh, leaks and whatnot slip out. But uh, I think they actually had crafted a bunch of other scripts uh, as well. Again, in order to throw snoopers off, uh, just in case, uh, because much of this film was shot, uh, you know, with with, with heightened uh, security, so to speak. I think even George Lucas was the only one. It was a small crew on set for the the unmasking of Darth Vader again wanting to keep all of that uh hidden until the film's release and he might have even shot that film uh later on but uh I mean Richard Barkhorn I think as I mentioned said it directing this film was like uh making King Lear with Shakespeare in the background uh, Lucas was was a was a heavy presence on all of the films but particularly with this film just knowing what the story was and how the film uh, was going to end. Uh, he felt he had to be there just to make sure things ran smoothly and, and of course, stayed on budget, which had not been the case with the uh, with the Empire Strikes Back. But uh, you know, nevertheless, everything everything did work out. Big. Uh, Big fight about to begin. Love this little moment here. Everyone doesn't know who it is. <laughs> of course, it's Joey. Again, ingenuity. Yeah, I've said. I think. I think this is the most intense fight of of the series. It's just so. It's raw and it's and it's brutal and there's so much at stake here. Again, Luke realizing can't can't cross that line. He's almost he's almost at that edge. Luke does have the high ground. <laughs> something something Vader knows all about. This fight was apparently longer, too. Uh, I've seen production stills and, and behind-the-scenes uh, photos that suggested the, f the fight was even longer than, than what it is in the film. Uh, I don't know what the reasoning for that was, whether timing or just uh, practicality or, or effects-wise, but like I said, I think it's a 
it's it's the best of the, of the series. It's just so so much at stake with it. Again, the whole the whole conflict comes to a head with this particular film. Again, this was this was tying off six years of story. Kind of as a, another fun fact, the the release of this film happened exactly six years to the date uh, of the release of of the first Star Wars film, and that was that was done intentional. They wanted to to release it uh, on the same uh, date. Emperor in the background saying, "Good, good." It's <laughs> uh, just it's just it's a treat to revisit this film. I mean, it's a treat to revisit all of them, but but this one, most of all, it, it's just a it's a blast. It's an absolute blast. No pun intended. Apparently, George Lucas wanted Steven Spielberg to direct this film, but uh, didn't uh, didn't 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 happen. Though uh, you know, one one can imagine if uh, he had been behind uh, the director's chair, that he would have done something special with it. Big moment coming up here. For you astute viewers, uh, you may notice that Vader is actually holding Luke's lightsaber during this this sequence uh, up until Luke gets it back. And again, that ties together with some of the, the deleted sequences that I, I mentioned from this fight. At some point, Luke threw down his lightsaber and Vader got it. And that explains why he's holding it in uh, in this particular scene. Again, when you watch these films all together, you see the symmetry uh, in the stories and particularly in, in the lightsaber fights. Uh, this is very reminiscent of what happens in episode three with Anakin and Count Dooku where Anakin begins his descent to the dark side and you can see it right here. The same thing is, is almost happening uh, with Luke, but uh, unlike unlike uh, his father, Luke is able to uh, Luke is able to pull back and 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 resist temptation again i i don't think hamill gets enough credit i know i've said that but he, he really delivers a, a master class right here yeah the the bad guy is telling you a good job that's usually never a good sign <laughs> 
Again, nice little connection here. Luke's hand is mechanical, just like his father's, going down the same path. Hands down, my favorite line right here. The entire Star Wars saga. Never, I'll never turn to the dark side. You failed, your highness. I am a Jedi like my father before me. Right there. I mean, that, that's the whole, that's the whole ball game. That's it. And I love it how the Emperor is just gobsmacked by this, by this, the uh, announcement by Luke. It's all of his efforts, all of his plotting. He still could not erase the Jedi from the galaxy. Again, you really see his hubris on full display and, and his own, uh, you know, his own failings happening right here. See, again, everybody's story seems to be peaking at the same time. Luke's is uh, uh, kind of on the on, on, on the downward slope. Uh, again, just adds to the stakes and adds to the tension. This is another thing. I, I would love to know what the audience reaction to seeing lightning fly out of the Emperor's hand for the first time. Uh, must have been amazing. This is another sequence, uh, again, where a character in a mask, but with lighting, with camera work, music, you can convey emotion. And and you really see it. Because we're so invested in the story, we believe in what's happening. You can see the conflict that's happening with Vader, even though his face is trapped behind a mask. You can see the dilemma that is falling before his eyes, that he, he doesn't... He doesn't want to see his son die. He isn't going to let his son be taken by this by this maniac who has taken his life uh, for all intents and purposes. And again, something powerful here that that Luke uh, saved, you know, Vader was saved by the love of his son. And again, I think that's a story, and I think that's a theme that's that's that that we all can recognize, and we can all, uh, you know, it's definitely universal. When I saw this in the theater back in April, the audience broke out in, in full applause when, when this happened. Because even though, you know, I'm sure everyone in there, much like myself, had seen this film dozens of times, it still is a powerful moment. Uh, and I, in my favorite of the entire saga, uh, I have to say, uh, this is it. The redemption of Darth Vader, the, the redemption of Anakin Skywalker, I should say. It does what has to be done. Wow, the music, oh, everything is perfect here. There goes the emperor down the shaft, <laughs> and good riddance. Such a powerful scene, powerful scene. <sighs> And again, very little dialogue, just the just the lighting, the music, the camera work. Two thumbs up, two thumbs up. And there's a little little nuance there. Luke, Luke takes Vader's hand again. Just the subtleties that you see uh, in the film really really go a long way. I mean, 
that doesn't you know it doesn't necessarily need to happen but again it, it just sort of adds to the overall drama and and to the stakes now the actor who um uh, plays Darth Vader uh during the unmasking uh that was named Sebastian Shaw and he famously had no knowledge about Star Wars he was a classically shakespearean uh, a trained Shakespearean actor, but had had never even seen Star Wars before, uh, and yet uh, he was chosen by George Lucas because he thought that his experience with with Shakespeare would 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 bring a sense of pathos and and real weight to to Vader's final lines, or in this case, Anakin's lines. Uh, once the mask comes off, and, and and it really does. I mean, he doesn't say all that much. It's a very quick uh, final exchange between father and son, but it's. It's powerful. It's really powerful, and, and it, it does have that Shakespearean element to it, uh, which, again, that th- those thread lines are, are all through the Star Wars films, and really, uh, you, know, you know, can be seen in in a, in a wide uh, array of circumstances. Goes the Star Destroyer. And again, subtle things here, but you just see the real character of the Empire. Everyone is fleeing for themselves. No one's bothering uh, to help one another. I mean, there's Darth Vader, and, and, and no one cares. They're just all running to save themselves. Rats avoid you know, trying to get off the sinking ship, so to speak. This is another scene uh, that... that really stands out in the entire saga. Luke takes the mask off. Now, when this was first released, um, the actors, uh, Sebastian Shaw, uh, still had his, his eyebrows. Uh, the eyebrows, they just, they didn't uh, cover them up. They didn't do anything. So in the first few, uh, you know, iterations of this film, uh, he still had, had eyebrows, but subsequent re-releases and uh, a digital... Uh, alterations have removed the eyebrows, which, uh, you know, again, it's not a major thing, but it's kind of, you know, a small detail that uh, is in keeping with the overall story, given that Vader is supposed to be a, a scarred and, and, and disfigured. This exchange is so, so bittersweet. Now go, my son. Leave me. Again, I can see why he was selected. Just to, again, just for a few lines of dialogue, it adds, it adds incredible weight to the to the delivery. You were right. You were right about me. You can't help but get a little, a little misty-eyed just, uh, just watching it again. The brilliant music, you got Darth Vader's theme, almost in a melancholy tone. Again, this is another one of those moments where it stands out. And this was never 
sort of the the intention at the very beginning. I mean, George Lucas even said he was surprised in the first film by how big a reception Darth Vader got, that he really did, as a character, take over the entire saga. What what really began as like is a bad guy, uh, and, and as George Lucas had said, if this had been one film, uh, the story of Darth Vader, Darth Vader would not have been this elaborate tragedy. Uh, but but because everything was split out over the course of three films, and because Darth Vader became such this popular character, that you know the whole narrative really shifted, and in a way that I think kind of benefited it, because you really can see this film not only as a as a battle for uh, of a rebellion, but also uh, the tragedy and 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 redemption of, of of a hero, a hero turned villain back to a hero. Everybody's racing off. Again, this was another moment in the last uh, theatrical showing I saw of this, where people just erupted into applause. It's again, it's a, it's a nice, it's a it's a crowd pleaser. It's a crowd pleasing moment. Victory for the rebels. <laughs> Leia gets the gets the last laugh. The last uh, last line of dialogue goes to, to Princess Leia in this movie, and again a fitting line as as well. Acknowledgement that Luke is her brother. <laughs> I can't even imagine what expectations were for this film uh, going into 1983. I mean, I've certainly lived through a number of, of third parts uh, in a trilogy uh, in, in recent years. I mean, certainly one that comes to mind would be The Dark Knight Rises back in 2012. But, I mean, Star Wars is just on a whole a whole other level. I mean, these were, these were cultural phenomenons that, that changed the movie landscape. Forever and, and and in many ways, you know, while it's part of it, I mean, you, you you still can't deny the continued influence of of these films. I mean, it's inspired so many filmmakers from Peter Jackson, uh, Guillermo del Toro, uh, James Cameron. I mean, just countless filmmakers have been inspired by these by these movies, and you know, gave birth, you know, unleashed more storytellers uh, and 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 directors. So, I mean, that's a a hell of a legacy that's still being felt. To this day, this scene with the with the with the funeral where Luke sets fire to his father's remains. Uh, this was done uh, right before the film was released. It wasn't in the script. It was actually shot on the back lot of, uh, or, or I shouldn't say the back lot, but in the backyard of uh, of where George Lucas lives. And again, it was just sort of a final uh, touch and send off. And again, adds. I think a perfect bookend to the to the struggle of of Darth Vader, his story, and his complicated relationship with with his son. Got a very poetic moment. Here we get all the all the intercutting of uh, the different planets that we've seen throughout the movies. This was all first incorporated in the in the nineteen ninety seven 
special edition and then subsequent re-releases added a few more planets like Naboo uh, but this has all been there in its entirety since uh, uh, since uh, since the 1997 special editions and again just sort of a nice little send off to show all the planets all the places that take place over the course of the entire six part saga uh, so when you when you watch this film you really do feel a sense of completion and closure I love the scene the Emperor statue topple over. Nice little nice little moment there. And the song that's that, that's present here was different than uh from what was in the original release it was the uh the Yub Nub uh song, which was kind of you know an Ewok uh folk folk song and dance. But this this new ending, this new theme which came with the ninety seven release, I think is much more emotional and impactful and delivers a a real rousing send off to to this film this was the only way that the movie could end in, uh, could have ended in, in my opinion it had to end in this uh in, in this particular manner you had to have it be this sort of a a dramatic uh send off you had to you couldn't have it be a you know the bad guys limp home or walk off into the sunset you got to have it be a a spectacular finish uh, or everybody's you know, sort of lives happily ever after change change the movies change the movies forever these films again this was one last change that uh came with the dvd releases uh and it's now been there in every subsequent edition but the inclusion of hayden christensen as the as the force goes of Anakin Skywalker, again was controversial and when it first happened, but I think it was a perfect touch to bring the stories all together and tie the prequels and sort of show that Anakin uh, returned to how he looked when he when he died when he when he when he went to the dark side of the force. So there you have it. There is a there is my commentary for Return of the Jedi, my favorite Star Wars film. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Hope it was uh, entertaining. I tried to uh, give you as many facts and uh, factoids and trivia along the way, as well as my uh, my commentary. But uh, nevertheless, I want to thank you for tuning in and being a part of this uh, of this discussion or this uh, r- really one sided uh, uh, discussion, more of a monologue, if you will, an endless monologue. But uh, uh, I had a great time. Uh, always fun to revisit this film so that is all for me today again programming note uh, there'll be no let me fill you in next wednesday but uh still uh, uh fill with the movies as scheduled for uh next week uh, going to be talking about uh another one of my favorite films kind of keeping in the uh in the tradition but that's all for now try to get to the movie theater if you uh if you can a lot of great films still playing but that's all i have for you now i'll be back next week and we'll do this all over again for the love of movies